0: between the perfection of God and your performance makes us at war with God. There's a hostility that exists between God and people who try to challenge him and be their own God. And yet look at what this verse says. It was for these people that Christ
1: died Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, I'm Aaron Paulus. Did you know that the Bible says we're born alienated from God and even hostile in mind toward him? And yet, the scripture says, even while that was true, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. Well, I'm so glad that you could join us today. Why don't you flip with me to the book of Romans, chapter five, and lean in as Pastor Trent teaches us who the Bible says Jesus is, and to what great lengths he went to make peace for us with God. Here's Pastor Trent.
0: Jesus was tempted, but yet he never sinned. He became man, and he became, as it says, my missionary. You see, Jesus didn't just come into the world. Jesus was sent into the world. There was a purpose for which he was here. He was on a rescue mission from God. You and I are on the same mission. We are not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. That means that I am to become an incarnational, missional Christian in the world. To reveal God to shine the light of the gospel, to reveal truth about who God is and how to live in this world. You are here for the same reason that Jesus was here. In the same way that Jesus became a man, we as men are to become or incarnate Jesus to those around us. That's what somebody did for you, maybe your parents or your pastor or somebody, a friend. He's like, man, that person showed me what it was like to walk with Jesus. That's now what you are sent to do in this world. He is my missionary, and I am his missionary. Here's the second thought. Think about the work of his substitution. We're talking about Jesus' greatest hits here. So number two on the chart is his substitution, and we're going to say he is my replacement. And for this, we're going to have to turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 5, and Let's try to summarize some of the doctrines of Christ that we find in the book of Romans. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says this, For while we were still weak. Raise your hand if you're weak. You're like, my mind's weak, my body's weak, I'm Just I'm not, I'm not what I should be. Well, this is talking about a spiritual weakness. This is, this is not talking about being mentally dumb. It's not talking about being physically tired or not able to lift a lot of weight in the gym. This is a spiritual weakness and it's a it's a sickness. It's a spiritual sickness he's talking about that makes us weak. He says at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see the little word for, F O R? I would venture to say that is the most important word in the New Testament. Christ died for the ungodly. It doesn't just say Christ died. If you ask an average person out on the street, tell me a few things about Jesus. Well, he was born in Bethlehem, he lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross. Yeah, but do you know why he died on the cross? He died on the cross for something. More specifically, for someone. Who did he die for according to this verse? All those ungodly people, Right? Raise your hand if you're sitting next to an ungodly person. Yeah. Raise your, raise your hand if they're sitting next to an ungodly person, right? It's like right here. Yeah, that's me. Now, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that way. We wouldn't go out in the world and say, I, I'm an ungodly. What we would say, this is the way we say it. We say, well, I'm not perfect. That's the way we say that. Okay. Well, I'll work with you. So you're saying you are unperfect, I know it's imperfect, but just work with me here, okay? What you're saying is you are unperfect. And we would agree that God is perfect. So what you're saying is you are, you're not God. You may act like it, but you're not God. So you're saying you're not perfect. What you're saying is you're not godly. You're not God. You're, you're un-God. god you're ungodly. That's what you are. And so am I. And any distance between the perfection of God and your performance makes us at war with God. There's great hostility of God toward ungodly people that, that, that make you nervous. There's a hostility that exists between. God and people who try to challenge him and be their own God. That makes you ungodly. And yet, look at what this verse says. It was for those people, as for these people, that Christ died for. Then he, he says, Think about this. If your brain is not smoking yet, think about it this way in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. If you've been following the news about the Ebola breakout, you've seen the name Dr. Kent Brantley, who's the American missionary doctor over there that was serving and not just providing medical aid, but spiritual aid to get the gospel to the hard places like Liberia, and in the process, he was infected with Ebola. He's now back in the United States receiving care, and we would say, how heroic is he? that he would risk his life, even potentially give his life for the good people of Liberia. But Jesus did something better than that. He gave his life for people who were at war with him. And rather than kill them and annihilate them, He let them kill him and annihilate him. And in doing so, Jesus died a replacement death. His death replaced my death. He became my substitute. The scripture goes on and says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you ever thought, I can't come to Christ, I've got to clean myself up first, this verse is for you. You come to Christ while you are still a mess. You come to Christ while you are still ungodly. That's when Christ died for you, when you were still ungodly. And then he says, in that process, since therefore we have now been justified, that word justified, big word, we're going to talk all about what it means to be justified. It says, now have been justified by his blood, a replacement blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath, the hostility of God. You skip down a little bit in verse 10, it says this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Notice in this verse, Jesus died a replacement death for ungodly sinners. That's not the best part. Think he also lived a replacement life for ungodly sinners. And what happened the moment you were reconciled or justified is that Jesus absorbed your life so that you could absorb his. Why was that so necessary? Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. No, ma'am, that's not your husband, okay? It was a different guy. His name was Adam. He was the first guy on the first page of the Bible. And the Bible says that he started war with God when he did something. He stepped out of bounds and it just all went downhill from them. And look at what the Bible says. It says thousands of years later... Sin is in the world. Through one man. But notice, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. It sounds like the Ebola virus, doesn't it? This thing is spreading and it's not good and it infects us. Here's the thing. See the word sin. Notice the word. It doesn't say sins. Our problem is not that we commit sins. Our problem is that we are sinners. Our problem is not a verb. Our problem is a noun. We have a virus. It's the S-I-N virus. It's terminal, and it's highly contagious. It infects your children. Pass it on, it's genetic. And it affected our first father, Adam, and he spread it to all of us, and there we were. And what this verse is teaching is we were all represented by Adam. But it goes on and says, For just as by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, who's that? Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Jesus Christ came to become a substitute righteousness for the ungodly. Jesus on the cross shed his blood because God the Father was treating Jesus as if he was ungodly so that he could treat the ungodly as if they were righteous. We were all represented by the man who disobeyed. We got his virus, sin. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, he has represented us so that we can catch his virus too. It's called righteousness. And you can spread that too. Think about the subst- his work of substitution. He is my replacement. He lived a replacement life and he died a replacement death. Here's the third thing. Think about the work of his resurrection. He is my life. It's it's a good story so far, don't you think? I mean, we're counting down the top 10 hits. We've made it to number three. Now, we probably ought to bump this one up to number one, but let's think about it this way. Everything that we've said so far is true. It's taught in the Bible. His incarnation, he came to earth. His substitution, he died on the cross. But here's the thing. A dead savior can't save anybody. And so that's why 1 Corinthians tells us if Christ has not been raised, His, your faith in Jesus is futile, it's worthless, it's meaningless, it's powerless. And you are still in your sins. You still got a virus. If he's still in the grave, you're, you're, still, you're terminal. But verse 19 says, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. All right, now... I read this verse 20 to the first crowd, and they yawned at me. If you do that, I'm going to throw something at you, okay? So just want to give you a little heads up here. I'm about to read verse 20, and there should be just a little reaction. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's a little better. So Christ has been raised. That should bring incredible hope because If Christ is raised, if Christ conquered death, if Christ conquered sin, what does that mean for me? He is my life. Romans chapter six says something to say to those of us who are very familiar with this story because you can can become so familiar with this story, you can yawn your way through it. Don't lose the wonder of the statement. Don't lose the wonder of the power of his resurrection. It says this in Romans six, three. Do you not know? In other words, think about this. Do you not know that all of us who who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's the substitution. Verse 4 talks about the resurrection. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is writing this to a bunch of Christians who think they have a license to go out and live any old way they want to now that Jesus has died on the cross for their sin because that's after all, that's what Christ does is is he forgives and that's good because that's what I do. I sin, and uh, I just I like to sin, and he likes to forgive. So we got this great relationship going on. I don't know what the problem is here, right? And Paul is saying you can't think like that because you have died with Christ, that old man that used to do all that junky stuff and that you're lying and your thievery and your 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 immorality. You've died, that man is dead. And what do you do with a dead man who's died? You bury him, that's what baptism is. But we don't leave you down there for long, we bring you back up. Because you've got a new life in Christ next week when we baptize these people. What we're saying is, Jesus lived, he died, he was buried and he's been risen again in the same sense you and I are playing out his life. We've lived, and yet we've died to that old man, that old Trent that used to think the way he used to think. He's dead. Let's bury him, and let's bring him back to life. He's got a new life, and he can live now because sin has been defeated. It's been conquered. It's been released. You have a new life in Christ, and then it says this to some of you that are new to this story in Romans chapter 10. Verse nine, if, that's an important word. Don't skip past that one because th- this is saying not everybody does this. It's only certain people that have the faith and the courage to do this. If you, it's an individual thing. It's not your mom, it's not your church, it's you. If you confess, that word means to agree with God. It means to say the same thing. If you say the same thing that God has said, if you say the same thing about yourself that God has said about yourself, namely, you're ungodly. Yes, God, I'm ungodly. You know what you just you just confessed? You just agreed with God about the condition of your life. Yes, God, I've got a virus. It's called sin. My problem's a noun, not a verb. What, what, I need help. If you confess with your mouth, not with your heart, your mouth, you can say things in your heart that nobody else ever hears. Keep secrets in your heart. God is saying, there's a proclamation that has to happen. There's a going public that has to happen. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, notice it doesn't say that Jesus is my Savior, my personal Savior. Some people have this mentality, I, I, I want to, I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior today, and one day I'll get really serious about following God, and I'll accept Him as my Lord later on. You can't accept Jesus for anything other than what he is he doesn't divide up like well I'll give you a little part here and give you a little part there and the savior part's really cool but the lord part man that's really demanding so I'm not gonna no Jesus is lord and you have to confess him as lord and then secondly believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and if you do that you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified made right with God declared right by God and with the mouth confession and one confesses and is saved can i ask you a question i wish i had an opportunity to say this to every person as they left today are you are you saved now that term's been overused in the church and we've kind of cheapened it but it's a real word and it's a good word are you saved what are you saying is the hostility that existed between you and God been removed by the person and the work of Jesus Christ and it has resulted in you believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and don't stop You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. You say, Well, I've believed in my heart, but I've never really told anybody. I I think that that's a problem based on this verse. There are no such things as secret saints, no such things as Christians who don't go public with their faith. So, how do we go public? We read it earlier. Through the process of baptism. So let me just say to you, I wish I had the opportunity with each one of you. Are you saved? Do you need to believe this moment in your heart that Jesus is alive? Not just a historical figure, didn't just die on a cross, but he came out of that grave. He's alive today. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead? By God the Father. You believe that? Maybe for the first time in your life, God is giving you right now the faith to believe that truth. It's really unbelievable, isn't it? Unless God gives you the faith to believe. Why don't you respond to him in your own heart? Remember, you believe in your heart. Why don't you just talk to God right now and say, Lord, I believe that you died as a substitute on that cross for my sin and I believe that you're alive today would you forgive me for being an enemy of you the ungodliness in my thinking the ungodliness in my behavior Lord today I need to be raised in the newness of life. I need a new life. I need to start over. I need a fresh beginning. And Lord, would you give me the courage never to be ashamed of you, even to confess with my mouth? I believe that Jesus is Lord jesus name amen and here's the way we proclaim that as broadly as we know we don't take out an ad newspaper what we do is we baptize you and you tell the story with your life your death your burial and your resurrection just as jesus died was buried and raised again that's what baptism is all about here's the fourth thing i want you to think about the work of his ascension he is my Lord. We got him to earth, his incarnation. We got him on the cross, my substitution. And we got him out of the grave, my resurrection. But have you noticed Jesus is not here? He only lived 33 years in a physical human body. So this is bad news for us, right? Do you know that in John chapter 14, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away? Well, how's that an advantage? Because he might be in Liberia today, or he might be at church downtown, and he he only had one little geographical space he could occupy, and, you know, bad news for you if you couldn't get to him. But he has now sent his Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, And it is the spirit of Christ. No competition between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, his purpose and his mission is to point to Jesus and glorify Jesus. He never draws attention to himself. He's always pointing at Jesus to glorify Jesus. And now he is here among us. If you have sensed in the last hour any tugging on your heart, if there's been any correct thinking about God, If you've had any kind of emotion of love and devotion and excitement and boldness and courage, do you know who did that? Not me. The Holy Spirit's been here doing that in your heart, giving you the faith to believe, convincing you that you're an ungodly sinner and yet made in the image of God and loved and have incredible worth and value and that Jesus died on that cross for you because God loves you so much. All of that truth is ignited by the Holy Spirit And it all happened because one day Jesus ascended back to heaven. We're told about it in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, and when he had said these things, so he had given uh, the, the commission, sent those guys out to Judea and Jerusalem and other parts of the earth there in verse 8, gave them power when the Holy Spirit was come. And he said, when he said all those things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And that is so significant. We say, well, that's not very significant. I mean, I get all, no, it's so significant. We need to think about it. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 and 16 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. He passed through the heavens on his way here and he passed through the heavens on his way back it says, this high priest, his name was Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our what? Confession. Confession. You don't just confess it one time and get baptized. You hold fast to it. You hold firmly to it. You let it fuel you, and you rebelieve it every day. And then he says in verse 16, because he's a high priest, watch what we can do. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Common ungodly people like you and me have no business in a throne room near a king. Unless we have a high priest who is the mediator between us and the king. And so here is Jesus. He is ascended. And do you know where he is right now? He is at the right hand of God the Father acting as God the Son our high priest and he invites you to come to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Raise your hand if you need any help. What are you waiting for? You have a high priest who is at the right hand of God the Father, and you know why He is there? He is there to hear your prayer. And he is there to pray your prayer to God the Father. You need some help? You need some grace? Need some mercy? Come on in.
1: The throne room is open, and the king is available. By his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus has invited us to come to the throne room of grace. Do you need to receive Christ's mercy and grace today? If you prayed along with Pastor Trent and have trusted Christ for salvation, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at resonate at harvestgranger.org and we'd love to welcome you at one of our weekend worship services. Join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road in Granger, Indiana, just north of Cleveland Road. Pastor Trent has challenged us today to think rightly about the doctrine of Christ. He is our missionary, our replacement, our life, and our Lord. Meet us at this same time and on this station next week for the first in a four-part series on the doctrine of salvation. It's our prayer that God's word will resonate in your heart and life this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.